Uh, what's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to the Mac and Fish podcast. I'm Coach McKinley Roll, and I'm here with my co-host, Charles Fishbine, better known as Fish. Fish, what's going on? What's up? All right, today, hey, we have a, a family friend, a dear family friend, Bruce Feldman. Uh, a little bit about Bruce. Uh, Bruce is a New York Times best-selling author. He's worked at ESPN and now with Fox and The Athletic. Uh, he has written the, the Quarterback, Swing Your Sword, Meat Market, Came Mutiny, and now Flip the Script. Uh, Bruce, thanks for coming on the Mac and Fish podcast. But uh, I want you to tell everyone, how, how do we meet? How did we meet? Uh, so this is probably 2005-ish, maybe it's before that. Um, I had an idea to do a story on the life of, of blue chip recruit and what they deal with in that day and age. And obviously that was pre Twitter, um, and a bunch of other pre stuff. But, uh, so your brother, uh, uh, one of your brothers, obviously, um, Myron was a big, big recruit who I started hearing about. And he went to this, like, I don't know, prep school, like in the area where time forgot, like, it looked like it was from like 1930s. Right. <laughs> That was the Hun School in New Jersey. And so I went to see him and, you know, Myron back then was like a 30 year old man in high school, right? <laughs> and kind of man among boys and everything like that. And so, and McKinley was, this was like before, before Phil Longo made it big. At some point was at Robert Morris and at some point was at St. John's, I forget which at the time. So I just remembered this is more than you want, but this is the story I remember. So at some point after, this wasn't right out of the gate. It was like after getting to know them a little bit going down to New Jersey. But I remember we took a trip to the Penn State Nike camp and everybody obviously wanted to recruit Myron, especially Penn State. And they actually had a family connection because I want to say like either two brothers or a brother and a sister-in-law are Penn State grads. Mm-hmm. And so they were all excited texting Myron to get him that he was just happened to be going to work out there. Right. And so uh, we get to Penn state and I don't want to, you know, like I had a coworker who was really close to the paternal family and Tom Bradley. And I was just like, Hey, I'm only here for this, for the Nike camp and Myron. I'm not just do whatever you got to do or whatever. So they take uh, Myron and McKinley and his parents into Joe's office. Right. And they, they uh, do their deal or whatever. And I, what I remembered was at some point they showed us Joe's old office, which was like downstairs or in another way. And we, McKinley and I were like starving for, we were so hungry to eat something. And I, I feel like Joe pulled out like a bag of old pretzels that were sealed from the old office. <laughs> and I remember thinking these could be 30 years old. I don't know if I want to bite into one of these, right? But that was that was my memory of of that trip was <laughs> meeting Joe in that context, them trying to roll out the red corporate carpet for his brother. And, um, you know, so it goes way back when. But anyway, so I was doing the story. And the one thing was I was so happy when I found out Myron was not choosing my alma mater, not because it has anything to do with Miami, but I just didn't want people to think, oh, yeah, I was working on the story and I was trying to sell Myron Roll to go become a Miami hurricane. Good deal. Good deal. It's crazy. Um, just question for me. How did you get into the business? Um, you know, so I have South Florida roots. I went to UM and um, Charles, what years did you get down there? What years did you start covering stuff? I started my first year was the Willie Williams year. I think it was like okay. 2002. And 
Willie was a top recruit. Uh, Kenny Phillips at the time was like a junior sophomore in high school. So that was right about when I started uh, in the business. So I was a transfer student. I went down to UM and I was working at a gym in Boca Raton and I tried to, I wanted to make a little extra money. And I was like, oh, I could do what sports writers do. So I went to uh, get a part-time job at the Miami Herald in the Broward office. And back then, like Henry Crockett was like the stud linebacker at Ely and Al Harris, who ended up playing in the NFL forever, was actually, I don't, you know, he, he was on the defense, but it wasn't like Al Harris people were buzzing about, right? And so, but I just remember being blown away by how much talent was in Broward. Not to say that there ain't, obviously isn't great talent in Palm Beach or Dade, but just me coming from the Northeast. And I was like, oh my God, like everywhere, every school had like, you know, I'm trying to remember, the, uh, God, I'm, I'm blanking on some of the names of some of the guys. Like Gibbons had a really big running back. He ended up at Miami, was a good player. It was just like every school had like a big time guy, it feel, felt like. So I did that for a, a while and did that for a couple of years and then ended up uh, working for a basically like a gambling magazine that was in Long Island. And I would work there on weekends, a lot of hours, but for, you know, five dollars an hour or whatever. And then I got on at ESPN with an entry level job and uh that you know i kind of my timing was good because basically i got there at july in, in the summer of 1994 and it was right about when espn.com or what's now espn.com was about to take off but it was all behind the scenes stuff and um it was just it was good because it was just like all sports and i was just really into it and um it was you know like i i kind of felt like i didn't you know when i was at the miami herald for like a year or two. And one of the guys I worked around with Steve White, who's now an NFL network and great guy. And Steve wasn't that much older than me, but a couple of the guys who were like in their mid twenties, one of them had said to me, Hey, newspapers are dying. You need to find a way to get into TV. And I had just graduated college and I had no TV experience. So I got a, uh, it's not even a part-time job. I was basically volunteering at WPBF in West Palm, just learning how to cut tape and, and, um, you know, they were nice enough to take me on for the, you know, free help so I could at least have it on my resume. And I ended up interviewing with Howie Schwab, the Stump the Schwab guy, who now has South Florida connections, obviously, because he lives down there. But, um, you know, he was familiar with that station. And so I think that helped a little bit just to get my foot in the door for the for the interview. And they, I think they just knew I was like pretty much so into sports that, you know, I, I was, you know, I think I interviewed pretty well. And the rest is kind of history. It was Manny Diaz worked for ESPN too. It, was, it wasn't the same time, was it? It was the same time, yeah. So Manny and I started really close to the same time. Manny was, he'd gone to Florida State. I think Manny's connection was Pam Oliver had worked at ESPN and Pam went to FAMU. And um, I don't remember exactly how, like, how well, Man like the Manny, Pam, like, you know, did Manny, Manny's resume just get passed along? Obviously, Manny's really smart. But so Manny went down there and got to know him. And obviously, I had no idea Manny was going to become <laughs> much less the Miami head football coach. Like all the stuff there is just crazy to think about, right? Because, because um, you know, everybody's kind of a sports fanatic. Or not everybody, but most of the people who are up there are. So you just wouldn't think somebody could, t especially if it's not like, you know, they weren't. Like there was, I remember there was a guy who played like division one basketball. He wasn't a great division one basketball player, but he still played, you know, but what was, 
it's not like he went on and got it, you know, parlayed that into a coaching job, you know? So the fact that, you know, all the credit to Manny, because he basically did, you know, with, with a family, with a family, he was starting out on top of it. Um, you know, got on with, I think Sterling Sharp helped him to Chuck Amato. And then obviously that the rest is history there, but so, yeah, I knew Manny way back when, and it's very surreal to see what he's become. Like, I think even probably in like 2001 or so, I did a story on Manny when he was just, when he got on as a GA on Amato's staff at NC State, because one of the guys I knew really well was like a Florida State connection was um, when they played Michael Vick in the, in the Sugar Bowl, um, I went to do an ESPN magazine story and they had two really, really good defensive ends. Um, Seymour and maybe David Warren. I'm trying to remember. Roland Seymour was definitely David one guy. Warren was the other guy. Yeah. And um, so I went there and Jimmy Gladden, it was the older D line coach who had maybe a hip issue or something, but he was off the field. So the GA who took me around um, and really took me around, like, Oh, I hit it off with down. There was Chris Demarest. And <laughs> Demo. Demo is a, was a classic. Um, and so, I mean, that's a story for another day, but anyway, we had um, him on last week, by the way. So, <laughs> Oh my God. He was one of my favorite people in, uh, is one of my favorite people in coaching that I've come across, but so, you know, they were on that staff, you know, first at FSU and then obviously at NC state. So that was, that was that kind of time period. Well, Bruce, how, how do you, we're going to jump around kind of what you do now, um, at least, you know, you're one of your main gigs. How do you prepare to be a college football analyst? Like what, what is the preparation that goes into that? Because typically, you know, I've seen you on Saturday and I'm like, man, you know, look at Bruce in a suit, you know, but, <laughs> but what goes into that process and how do you prepare and, um, you know, just give uh, you know, our listeners some, some insight on that. Yeah. So that like, you know, the word analyst, I think, can be used in a bunch of different ways in this business. And for me, it's a lot different than, um, you know, the guys on my big noon kickoff show. So we have a host, Rob Stone, and he's kind of you think of as the point guard or the traffic cop for everything. And then the analysts at the desk, it's Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, Urban Meyer and Brady Quinn. You know, they're the ones who are supposed to tell you, OK, this is why the coach did this. This is, you know, what the players are seeing and that kind of thing in, in my role you know, really, I am going to try to tell you what's happening in terms of news specific or how coaches may feel about something or play or how players may feel about something, you know, and so everything what I do, I feel like starts with relationships. And, you know, I'm, Char I'm sure Charles, you know, this is how it's for you where you know, a lot of people, and you really kind of just cultivate those relationships and keep managing them and everything else because you're always looking for information and to be reliable and to be somebody people can trust and then mckinley i think what's becoming you know really important for me to realize in this specific role i'm on for about you know a minute and a half each hit so maybe i do three hits a show but what i got to remember is if i'm a writer which obviously i am but i can't kitchen sink it meaning all the stuff that i find really interesting or really important. I can't shoehorn that into that minute and a half because the reader won't, the, the viewer won't follow it. It's just, I got to get in there and what can I deliver in maybe, if you think about it, like three paragraphs, but it's got to be very tight and my delivery has to be really good. 
most writers, I mean, Stephen A. Smith once started out as used to be a writer back in the day. I think he's one of the exceptions of the former newspaper guy who's very animated naturally and just, you know, I'm sure there's some theatrics and some, you know, that's, you know, selling it and how he's doing it. But for the most part, most writers, you know, or reporters, whether it's Adrian Wojnarowski or, uh, you know, you name it, or Adam Schefter or Chris Mortensen or Peter Gammons or Ken Rosenthal, most of those people, um, I think, you know, you worry about coming across as stiff or flat, right? And a lot of times you're delivering information and some of that information is like bad news. You know, somebody's out for the year, you know, now, especially in this day and age, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we have to, you know, on our show, we've mentioned something COVID related. So it's not like you're going to go up there with a, with a huge smile on your face and it's like, you know, be jovial about it. But at the same time, you got to find a way to deliver your information succinctly, but also, you know, punch up certain parts of it. So your delivery is not monotone and everything else. And, you know, for most of us, I think that's, that's not easy. Yeah, no doubt. You know, you wrote a book with uh, the pirate, Mike Leach. What what was that about? What, what, what did can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, I mean, everyone thinks Leach is, and I'm not saying like it's brain surgery, but like, you know, Leach is hard to keep on track. He's a unique thinker. He would love to, you ask him a question about like, who would want to fight an aardvark or a, uh, <laughs> or a llama? He'll give you a 20 minute well thought out answer but if you ask him some very detailed specific football stuff that the average like you know reporter may want to know he may not go there he may not want to go there so i think the key with him is finding out what was the path to to the story each story you want to tell in his life story and find people who can give you the roadmap so you can go to mike and say hey how mommy told me this and then I'll be like, Oh, and then he'll expand on it rather than if you go ask him a bunch of open-ended questions, you may, you know, you may be going in circles for a while. Right. And so, I mean, he's, he's, he's an outside the box thinker. And I think the challenge with Mike, because he's such an outside the box thinker, um, like people will sometimes see somebody like that and they'll be like, Oh, he's not really that crazy. Well, Mike, I mean, is really that crazy. What you see is what you get. <laughs> there's no, like that's him. He is every bit as out there as the perception of him is. And he's probably actually more out there than the perception of him is. Wow. It's probably what makes him such a great coach, but all you have to do is watch the uh, episode of him explaining the whole marriage thing. And it's, he's, he just goes on and on and it's, he's, he's, He's funny as heck, and, and he is definitely a, a different level type person. But uh, I enjoy him a lot. Yeah. What um? Well, Bruce, one of the one of my favorite books that you you've written that uh, I love, and I told you about it, was a uh, Meat Market. Um, I was so hooked onto that book. Um, you know, just tell tell everyone about Meat Market and, and what your you know the preparation that went into it, and and obviously Ed Orgeron was in that book, and then you get to work with him in a couple, you know, um, recently with the new book, flip the script, but, uh, tell us about me market. So I had for years wanted to do a magazine story about how a football program goes from basically a thousand names on its board to the 25, they end up signing at the, like a year later. And that project started, it's funny. We mentioned this, uh, you know, five minutes ago, but like 
initially I looked at the University of Kentucky and I wanted to do for a magazine story, a, a powerhouse school, a program that's, that struggles in its own conference and then a smaller school. And Kentucky was really the middle school, but I started to work on it and then just things got derailed in a hurry. And then I wanted to do it at NC State because I knew Demo and I knew some of the guys in that staff and they were all for it, but Chuck Amato was not for it at all. And if the head coach doesn't have the blessing, it's not happening. So at one point I thought about trying to do it at Rutgers because, you know, I lived in New York City at the time and I had a good relationship with Shiano and I knew they were, they were getting traction. Like I, like I'm not surprised Greg got it going there. So, but uh, the, the magazine, uh, um, bosses I had were like, yeah, they, they thought it was just two Rutgers. They didn't, they weren't buying into that. So I backburnered that idea for a while. And then I was at the coaches convention one year, it was in Dallas. And I was meeting up with Ogeron, who I knew from his USC days. And I went, he was like, Hey, what are you doing for dinner? And I was like, Oh, I'm going out with, and this guy, you guys might've crossed paths with Dennis Slutak, who had been at USC. He's a former Florida state punter. And, um, we were going out to dinner and I was like, can I bring Slew? He said, sure. So it's, he, Ogeron's in the back of the He's about to hire Dan Werner and Art Keogh to his staff after that Peach Bowl LSU game where there was a brawl in the tunnel and everything and Miami gets whooped in the game. And uh, I'm just sitting there listening to Ed sing in the back of the limousine. I'm like, wait a minute, here's my story. Like, this is that, like, I... You got this guy who helped Pete Carroll build USC and everything. He was all into recruiting. He's a larger than life character. So I went down there for two days um, or three days, right around signing day. And in the first 30 minutes, he was walking me through his recruiting board. And he's so into it. And I was like, wait a minute. There's so much good stuff here. And then when I went back to New York, my, my editors at the magazine said, you have a book here. This isn't a magazine store. You really should think of doing a book. And so that's how it became. The book did very well. And um, for years, people kept on asking me, do you think you'll ever do a sequel to Meat Market? And I didn't really think about it because I didn't think it was viable. I didn't think that I would get, just walk into as good a story. I didn't think I'd be able to get the behind the scenes access that I really needed for me to feel like I have something that merits a book. And so, you know, fast forward probably 13 years, Ogeron and I were talking in uh, April, uh, like last winter, and it was going in the 2019 year. And he was raving about this young assistant coach he hired from the Saints, Joe Brady, and how good he thought he was, how smart, and what they he what he thought they had going. So I went down, spent a week there in April of 2019, sat in all their meetings, went to practices, met with Joe Brady for a while, and came away convinced they're onto something. I didn't know they were going to win a national title, but I was like, they're going to be really good. And so I started working on the book proposal for what is now Flip the Script. And then they obviously started whipping people. And after they beat Alabama, I was like, I got a book. I know I got a book. And that was, that's what Flip the Script is and how it came wow. about. Wow. Wow. So you, you talk about Flip the Script. How was that experience with that? It was different because now, obviously, after they beat Clemson for the win the national title, I kind of knew, okay, now it's a national championship winning story. And Ed's story is is much crazier than Leach's. If you think about it, like he's experienced the highest highs, but the lowest lows of anyone I know who's, you know, won a, won a championship at that level. I mean, 
He's on Jimmy Johnson's staff in his 20s. They have all these great players. He's coaching Cortez Kennedy and Russell Maryland and then Warren Sapp. And he's partying his head off and literally ends up losing his job and losing everything because he can't handle his alcohol and goes to rehab. And, you know, now he's been 20 years sober, but that's been, you know, quite a journey. And as I knew I was going to be able to tell that story in this book, and I knew that was a big part of, you know, it's not just about winning a championship. I really think it was like this kind of life lesson of how things can play out, but you got to stay in the fight and keep, you know, there's going to, you're going to have to ride the roller coaster and learn to live with some bad decisions and have to learn how to evolve. And what was, what nobody saw coming, I wouldn't think is, you know, after we agreed to do the book and got the book deal the week of the national title game, um, you know, the pandemic hits and then no spring football, no nothing. I was supposed to go down to Louisiana. I think, I don't know, like probably two weeks after the quarantine set in. So, you know, he and I were talking on the phone all the time for longer periods of time than normal. So it just, the pandemic, I think in some ways made it easier for him to be more accessible to sit there where normally I might get eight minutes of his time. Now I'm getting 45 minutes to an hour. Mm -hmm. So that process, you know, was much more manageable, I guess. Well, out of all your books, which one was your kind of your favorite to write and just the experience of going through? Me Market Story was really, you know, like I went all the way down the rabbit hole. And the reason why it was my favorite to write was because I learned, you know, I cover college football for a living, but I learned so much about how a college football program works because I would be there constantly. And so even if it wasn't directly related to recruiting or that recruiting class, you know, I was just in a lot of meetings and I was like around on whenever they watched film after practice. And so you kind of learn to manage a lot of stuff and you realize a lot of things that I am pretty sure nobody who does my job is just has the access to. Right. And so, um, you know, this book was fun to write because I got to see a great team like and see how it ticks and see how it grows and see like a lot of layers to it and stuff that I maybe in my head took for granted, realize how hard they are to, to put together because like Ed Ogeron's team in 2017, like this year's team in 2020, where it's a complete rebuild job and it's really struggling. There's elements of the 2017 team that were, that were very similar to that. You had a new offense. You had, in that case, you had a new offensive coordinator hire that really struggled, and it was a bad fit. It's not to say Matt Cannon is not a good coach because he's been successful at a bunch of places, but it was just a bad fit. And I think in this case, they have a defensive coordinator hire that was brought in. Um, Bo Pelini has really struggled, and I think you just see leadership is different from year to year with a team, you know. And just because some of the same guys overlap, the 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 living thing that is a football team varies wildly from year to year and how you manage it can vary wildly from year to year. And I think here in Ogeron talk about like, I couldn't have talked to the team that way at that moment because I might've lost that group. You know, they, mm -hmm. they process information differently. They, their leadership is different. What they care about is different. Now it's on you. Now in this case, it was like that team, he had a year to build basically because he, this is first full class there's first full team but you know it's still it's still a you know 
a real roller coaster ride in that. And so I learned a lot on those books, especially, Um, you know, to me, those have been, you know, my favorite books. Now, this one, because it happened in a pandemic, and there was so much stuff going on. Like, I always hear people go, yeah, when they write the book about 2020, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to read the book about 2020. Like, <laughs> I'm, o- I'm over it as it's going on. Like, I just want whatever's going to happen to be, you know, move on. I don't want to go, revi- you know, like I'm, there's parts of this that have been, you know, very interesting and rewarding just because, you know, if you have small kids and you're getting to spend time with them at a time, but there's other stuff like, you know, as I think about working on this book, it's just been there's been a lot of stuff that has been challenging because, you know, you're still in a pandemic. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, meat market was a different time in my life. And it was, it was just a, um, you know, I would go down to Oxford and sometimes I get there at the beginning of the week and I'd be like, man, these guys are going to get blown out this week and they may get fired. And then somehow they would almost beat Auburn or they'd almost beat urban Myers, Florida team. You know, it was like, they would look, completely overwhelmed on Tuesday at practice. Then on Saturday, I'm like, how are these guys hanging with this team? You know, it's just like, they have a walk-on quarterback and they have, you know, like they have guys who aren't ready to play and yet they would be super competitive. And it would just be, you know, his speeches are pretty amazing speeches to be in the locker room for. Um, you know, he doesn't need a microphone. Like he, his voice booms and his, it's um it's pretty remarkable and so just experience that stuff um you know i'm grateful for that opportunity and and those are things i really appreciate because i was you know the other books i've done and i did do some you know fly on the wall stuff with with swing your sword and leech's book but the other books i've done um you know the qb book was a lot of different things kind of swirling around and it was interesting for me to learn from but it wasn't no, there wasn't like a team sense, you know, like, whereas this, it really is that. Well, uh, well Bruce, uh, let, let our listeners know how they can follow you or uh, any social media handles you have or how they could uh, get the book. Yeah. So the easiest way is I'm on Twitter. I'm uh, at, at Bruce Feldman CFB. And easiest way to get the book is to go to Amazon and just search uh, flip the script or go to my Twitter handle. It's the link. Just click on the link that's pinned to the top of it. And there you go. Ah, perfect, man. Well, Hey, thank you so much, man. You know, I appreciate you, you know, uh, good to see you doing well. Um, you know, hope the kids yeah. are doing well. Chrissy's doing well. And, um, you guys, uh, take care, man. You know, Do I get to tell the story of the wedding crashers? <laughs> we don't have enough time yeah. you know this story that, that'll be part two man we hey, we don't have a whole lot of time but yeah but, no um, i can't do that okay. hey but um i appreciate you coming on but um i hey now that i know you like writing books i actually want to write a book called fish tales and i have a lot to talk about so oh man oh yeah <laughs> I'm sure you do down there. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I mean, just, just what I've gone through in life, but uh, the fish find life story, but uh, I, you know, the whole recruiting thing in college football, I, I never imagined when I got into it, I would have got this deep into it, but uh, I appreciate you coming on. It was enjoyable and hopefully we can get you back on again. So. Sounds yeah, good. Man. Thank you guys. Hi, right, Bruce. Thank you, bud. Right. Be good. Take care guys. See ya. Bye.